This is Kevin Sipp, our project supervisor for the City of Atlanta's Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, also an artist and creative in its own right, and you're listening to Studio Noise. Yes, go ahead and throw that paint, baby. Go ahead and cut that wood. Go ahead and piece it back together, baby. That's the noise. That's the noise, the noise. Yes. Sound of creation. And we love it, baby. This is the Studio Noise Podcast. Sponsored by MAF, National Black Arts. Go check them out at mbaf.org. They're doing a lot of cool stuff for you. Uh, give me on a look at it. Got some big things coming your way. Make sure you check them out. Keep up with them. Follow them on IG too. It's good stuff. And so this is a Studio Noise podcast. It's your favorite art podcast with great contemporary artists making big moves in the art world. And as far as I can see, ain't nothing but black people. <laughs> That's right, baby. Because black people do art and black people make culture. And we talk about it right here on The Noise. It's your boy, Jay Barber, printmaker. Grad student professor of the arts right here, giving it to you, keeping it going. My co-host Jiggy Jazz, she out on assignment. She's been going on assignment a long time. Might be time for her to come back. <laughs> I got to check on her, make sure she's all right. But yeah, she's been going this whole summer. So all summer long, it's just been me and you holding it down, keeping the conversation going, keeping uh, the interaction going. You getting to know me. I'm getting to know you. You know, we we making it happen right here. And so we got another great guest for you. Um, can't wait to introduce y'all to, to this uh, this sister out of Nebraska, but we'll get to that. Uh, but first, as always, got to drop the Studio Noise question of the week on you. Uh, and this one comes from my personal experience. Uh, what experimental work are you hiding in the studio? What you hiding? What you don't want to show nobody? I've been doing that same thing I just recently, and not to make this all about myself, but I just recently decided, you know what, I'm going to stop hiding these paintings I've been working on. I've been mentioning it on and off for since the quarantine began, how I've been painting because I didn't have access to a press. So I just started, you know, expressing myself in other ways. I've been whipping it up, doing the paint. So I finally, finally got my courage together. It's like, look, everybody know your boy Jay is the printmaker. They know the woodcuts. They know all of that good stuff. They ain't never seen these. So I'm going to drop it on them. Let them know. <laughs> let them know what I'm doing, yo. In the in the, in the the confines of my own basement space. You know, finally put them out, gave them to the light of day. It's been a good response so far. Ain't nothing sold yet. <laughs> That's the real, the real, uh, <laughs> the real metric I use for success. <laughs> Not really. I'm just playing with you. But yeah, but you know, give me a good response. I like seeing them framed up and put them out there. I went on and put it out there. So I'm imploring you. Like what did go ahead and tell me? Cause as always, like the first thing you said, you gotta put it on the IG. Go to Studio Noise Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast. You'll see the graphic up there with the question of the week. Go ahead and comment. Now again, this is just a way for you to be accountable to the fam. You gotta put it out there. You put it out there, you let us see it, and we hold you accountable. Make sure we building each other up out there. So go to this thing, let me know 
what you hiding in your studio, what you working on that you kind of, you know, you got a little feeling about it. You think it's good. You know, I'm quite sure it's time. I say we got to put it out there and see what's going to happen. You know, it's the only way we're going to get better. So go ahead and jump on that. And so we got a good guest for you. This one, like I said, live from Nebraska. <laughs> got found a one black artist that's working in Nebraska. Miss Cat Weiss is here on the podcast. Nice young sister. We're very deep, very thoughtful. I love talking to her. So this is a, a great conversation. So she's biracial and her work is talking about colorism and tokenism and kind of her experience going through life. It's a different kind of experience that we don't always talk about. I don't think, have we talked about it on the podcast yet? I'm not sure, but we talking about it right now. So, <laughs> so you can listen. Uh, this sister's got a lot to say. Uh, she got to make some good work. You know, she talk up all about her experiences growing up, how she relates, how she fits and feels about her blackness. Uh, growing up, I, mean, I think it's a great conversation. Big shout out to Kat. I'm a big fan of her now, especially after this interview. One of the youngest guests we've had, but also one of the most thoughtful. So we sure do appreciate her coming on. I appreciate you for listening. So with no further delay, we got after the break, we got Kat Weiss on podcast studio noise, baby. All right, all right, it's, it's your boy Jay Barber, back with more Studio Noise. Got another special guest reporting live from uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. It's like a flyover state. I didn't even know it was black people out there, but we found one, <laughs> a, a, a passionate, talented one, too. So it's Kat Weiss on the show. You can find her work at catweiss.com. How you doing, girl? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Oh, for sure, yo. Like, you know, I'm always in the, on the lookout for... Uh, new people to talk to you know, i'm like a like a a creativity vampire like i like to just take people's stuff <laughs> and talk to them see how they do it and so i found your work on ig i thought it was tremendous and you know now you're here right now you you part of the fam that's the beauty of the gram thank you graham <laughs> <laughs> for sure you might be like one of the youngest people we've had on the show too uh so yeah yeah, and, that, and that's good because we like to get all kinds of perspectives on the show. So, you know, I'm a little jealous, you know what I'm saying, that you're so good at such a young age. But, you know, that's how it go. You know what I mean? Old man got to keep working. <laughs> got to keep working hard <laughs> to keep up. But, yeah, so tell, tell us a little bit about. But, you know, actually, I want to start um, somewhere strong. I hate to jump right into it right off the bat. But you had a, had a video on IG uh, where you were talking about tokenism. And colorism. So I looked at that video and then thought about your work and thought about how aligned that is and how much of a personal statement to me it appeared to be like when you were saying. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'm really glad that you pointed that out because there's a real connection between um, my my work and my experience as a person. I'm talking in my work about navigating the black identity as somebody who maybe isn't on first assumption black. Um, and what that what that feels like and what other people assume about you and how other people might tokenize you or put you on a pedestal above other black people. And if you're not cognizant of it, um, 
it it is a real problem <laughs> um, systemically and organizationally. I work for a nonprofit in addition to my artistic practice, and so sort of seeing us navigate these issues of um, including diverse voices while also ensuring that we're not just reaching out and finding like the next brown person, but finding the right people because they exist. And so saying off the hat that just the next brown person is the right person is this it's another form of prejudice and discrimination rather than saying we are looking for a specific person. I hope that I don't know if that makes sense, but oh no, it makes it makes perfect sense. And so tell people what what is exactly is your background um, that you are dealing with? So racially, yeah. So like my ethnic background, I'm African American. My mom is black, and my dad is white. And my mom is um, comes from like generations of multiracial black people, and a lot of that is because of like uh, rape and slavery. So um, that that is an ex- a specific experience too. Um, my my mom and my mom's family came from Alabama during the second wave of the Great Migration in the '60s. So they came to. Lincoln from Vernon, Alabama, when my mom was four. So she's grown up. We've been in the Midwest for um, however, however long that is. And um, yeah, just kind of navigating like my grandma is who's really light skinned. She almost looks like myself. And then her husband was darker skin and sort of seeing the way the choices that they had to make in order to survive Mm. in this predominantly white um, state and city. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's man, interesting. So how how young were you when you started to really notice like the difference between uh, the different shades of black people and how they were treated? That's such a great question. That is such a great question. So I'm going to blow up my young self who wasn't <laughs> wise enough to really uh, like see what it meant for me to feel or act this way. When I was four or five, I would like look around and I, I thought, well, my mom doesn't look like me because my mom's much darker than me. She has Afro. It's beautiful. She wore an Afro until I was like 17 or 18, which was so good for me. Oh, yeah. All um, right, mama. Yeah. I know. She's she's so cute. It's stupid. Um, But <laughs> so like comparing myself to my mom and thinking, well, that can't be my mom because I look different. And when I look at commercials and I look at these different places, there are no interracial couples. And that's not what I'm thinking. I'm like four or five, but I think we don't look alike. You're not my mom. So when I was four or five, I was like going into different places with my mom and thinking like, Oh, that person looks more like me. Is that my mom? And my mom was like, no baby, that's what are you talking about? (laughs) So I was, uh, I had like an identity crisis probably from the age of four or five. Um, so I think I've always had a weird kind of consciousness and I didn't realize until later in my life, like, what even that experience meant? I I, I didn't realize till I was maybe like twenty. I was like, "That's odd." Like, <laughs> that's <laughs> odd. Um, and yeah, I think later on when I was maybe seven or eight, me and my mom would go to like Dillard's or something. And my mom mentioned, I remember I was maybe eight or nine, and my mom mentioned this woman isn't this woman at Dillard's like isn't giving me service. We were in the shoe department, and she was talking about how this woman was like ignoring her, and she was like, "I think it's because I'm black." And I was like, no oh, wow. way that does not happen. <laughs> and I was so just like shocked and confused and sort of in disbelief wow. that that had happened. Um, and of course I was like eight or nine and my, my like impulse was to say it wasn't real or that it wasn't happening. And um, like that, 
that was me at eight or nine kind of internalizing colorism because I didn't experience what my mom was experiencing. Right. It must've meant her experience wasn't real. Mm. And yeah, I started, <laughs> and I think that's how it functions. If you don't have a critical racial consciousness, that's how it functions even into adulthood. You think, well, I don't experience that and I'm black right. or I don't experience that. And I share that. So there's no way it's happening. Yeah, so they, Racism they was 1960. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man, that's, t- that's crazy. That, but it's crazy, but it's, it's very interesting. So in terms of who you related to, um, in terms of the two sides of the family, so I'm assuming that your dad had an all white family. And, yeah. So my and, dad's white. Yep, okay. Very white. And so, <laughs> and so your mom had an all black family. So the two different sides, who did you relate to more? Mm, that's a good question. So, um, I think even my mom's family is more complex. So she, yes, she, she comes from an all black background, but her biological father who was darker skinned and African-American, he was like the, one of the first black professors at the university of Nebraska Lincoln. And he was in computer engineering, like deep, deeply brilliant human being. But he left um, the family when she was like four or five, he was um, actually homosexual and he wasn't able to like, express that because they were in the south and so it was like this whole complex sort of cover-up mm. um his family it's it's, it's crazy okay it's a whole <laughs> crazy family situation um and so my mom's my the the man in my mom's life that she grew up with was white um because my my grandmother like remarried and so that's my mom's side of the family and so i didn't really have a deep connection with um my biological grandfather i never met him I've only really spent time with my grandmother, um, my mom's mom, who's lighter skin. And I do think that that's relevant for my grandma as well. But um, that's like its own other topic, sort of. And then my dad's side of the family, um, like my grandmother on my dad's side was uh, German from Russia. And so she brought a lot of that immigrant experience with her. Um, and so she like worked at a Germans from Russia museum in the um, South Bottoms here in Lincoln She was really, really cool. And she was a very talented artist. So I really identified, I think, with my mom um, because my dad was a truck driver. So I really identified with my mother more because I spent the most time with her. But I also admired my dad because he's cool. And he was like really supportive of my art. He like brought me, bought me spray paint when I was 12, like that kind of thing. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Nah, that's what's up. So so this is is a a complex thing. So what was your experience? Um around other people in school like when you were in school did you hang more with the black kids or did you kind of mix in or, or or is in lincoln what is the kind of racial attitudes that are there that you experience yeah that's a good question so lincoln's predominantly white we do have like a small black community it's less than i think it's less than like eight percent or less than seven percent like it's very very small and then we have a larger hispanic uh community that's growing um and we, we also house like a lot of refugees and immigrants per capita. We actually have one of the largest uh, populations of like immigrants and refugees in the country. Um, so we do have a, like a diverse community, but it's still predominantly white. And then of course, like the state as a whole, very white. Um, and I, I think we're kind of uncomfortable, like as a, as a state and as a city with that, with the changing demographics, I think it's, it's, it's new for people that have lived here for a long time to see that change. Um, and growing up, I, 
kind I, like the my elementary school I went to when I was um, in fourth grade. I started going to public school after being homeschooled and then going to a church school, which was its own very weird experience. Um, but when I was in elementary school, I went to a predominantly white school. And so I sort of uh, had a lot of formative years in white in, the, in white spaces and sort of navigating this way that I, I had internalized um, some of like what I was seeing or some of what I was not seeing. So like I I remember very vividly there was a girl who was in my uh, second grade class before I went to a public school who was blonde and her hair would swing like a pendulum because it was so straight. And I remember I just wanted to look like that. Mm. And so I kind of spent a lot of time like worshiping whiteness and internalizing some of that self-hatred and having um, other young kids in my like elementary school and middle school commenting on like the, the texture of my hair and things like that. And so that was very, very challenging in these white spaces. And then in middle school, I was so refreshed because I went to uh, Park Middle School, which is a really diverse middle school in Lincoln. It's one of the most diverse uh, middle schools in the city. And that was one of the first um, opportunities I even had to like make friends with kids that looked like me. So that was that was wonderful. And it was great. And so I made friends with a lot of other black girls who were I I remember uh, I had a I had a friend. Her name was Morgan Liddy. And we were best friends for years and years and years. And her mom was um, white, but her dad was black. And she looked a lot more like my mom than she even looked like me. Hmm. So she didn't even really look mixed. But I remember we were both kind of navigating our mixedness together, kind of on opposite ends of what that looks like visually. And um, I remember one day she asked me, like, do you think of yourself more as white or more as black? So it's the same question you're asking me now. And so... Um, yeah, it was really interesting the way that she explained how she how she felt more white, even even despite the fact that she didn't look at all visibly white. Wow. And yeah. Wow, wow that's something. <laughs> that's it. That's something. Yeah, you know, and, and it's interesting. You know, no, I'm I'm gonna ask you this. Um so as you were existing in these spaces, where did you yourself notice that you were treated different too? as compared to like any other black person that you were hanging out with that was darker? Like, did you get, did you feel preferential treatment or do you feel like a different gaze or did you feel like a different level yeah. of acceptance? I definitely think like entering and in, going to park middle school and being like newly immersed in this diverse group of people, like finally ha having folks that I could identify with. Um, it was really wonderful. And I met a lot of very excellent people like, like I, I had a friend who was in track and she was like a phenomenal student, a phenomenal athlete. And, um, and Morgan was really brilliant. And so like, I was hanging out with really, there was like tears. It was, it was screwed up. It was like within the, within this group of black girls that I was friends with. Um, it, I definitely noticed like some of us were treated differently than others, even by like school administrators mm. and thinking about like what it took for some of us to be treated as well as we were like for me, it took my lightness for my friend Kitiana. I think it took her like absolute excellence at everything. <laughs> and I think for more for Morgan, it was just like, she was the, the, her manner of speech and these like different things that sort of like protected her. Um, and so I definitely think within that context, I, I, I discovered things about um, what things privilege you in, in your community. 
Um, and within the black community, there was definitely like a division between the girls who'd grown up in the hood and like had brothers in jail and that were struggling with that stuff. And the, and the girls that weren't the girls that had the privilege to like not have that. Right. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely noticed it. I think at that point in particular. Wow. That's interesting. So this is, this, it sounds like, um, you were navigating like a really complex racial structure, like in, in how did you feel like you internalized that? I'm going to turn to your work in, 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 as we talk about this and bring it up. So you have the piece, the piece that the first piece of yours that I saw that made me connect what you were saying about tokenism to your art was the piece. It has a long title. If a black woman is afraid of the dark, is she afraid of a shadow of herself? And so you or, have, yeah, or herself or herself. I'm sorry. Um, You're good. You're so, good. so you have a, a black woman sitting on a pink stool and behind her, on an easel is a painting of a much darker girl uh, with the same shirt, same hair and everything. Um, so explain kind of this idea of how you were internalizing it and how it started to manifest in that piece in particular. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a big piece for me to make both physically at seven feet. And then also as a, Oh yeah, I this is a huge piece. I, it said what six and a half by seven feet. Like wow, yeah, girl, so, you did it's a that, big baby. Yeah, <laughs> you should have seen me trying to get it into my apartment and out <laughs> of my apartment. That was anxiety inducing. Um, yeah, so I think that piece really—it uh, was the first time that I managed to tell my story, to tell my story in my work, and also to like to. Um, it's like a culmination of so many years of thinking about this content, and finally, like it was like in a summary or something. It was like finding the perfect sentence to, to tell this story I've been trying to tell year after year. Um, so that work is a representative self-portrait. My friend Sydney is posing in the, in the, in the painting and she's a model in Chicago who I went to, um, I believe middle school with. And her mom is also black and her dad is white. And, and for multiracial people, that is a specific experience. Like, where you have a same a same race parent like um even statistically people who have a parent of the same race tend to identify with whatever race um is correlated with their same gender gender parent i don't oh, know yeah. if i've been saying that right yeah yeah time. i know what you're saying you, like girls you relate to their mom stuff like that yeah right yeah. right right um super basic right but uh, but of course it was like really interesting i was like oh that's a thing um so sydney and me like we had that same shared experience of kind of growing up in white spaces and the middle school coming into these more, this like more diverse space and exploring our identities. And so I just felt, I felt this connection to her. And I was like, if someone's going to stand in for myself, like I want it to be Sydney. So Sydney's the person in the painting. And she, like I said, is a professional model. My sister also, who I'm very close with, she um, modeled professionally since she was like 16 or something. And so watching my sister navigate the racism and the prejudice and the misogyny of the modeling industry was very traumatic mm. just to even witness. It was crazy. And I and so this piece is in many ways about representation and the modeling industry and about colorism and beauty and the intersection of all those things. So one thing that you that's hard to see on Instagram is the far right uh, portion of that painting is a collection of images of women are darker than the than, than a brown bag. And the magazines were, uh, the images from the magazines were collected between 1995 and 2019. 
Um, so like the years of my life and my time looking at images and magazines. Um, and the reason all these women are darker than the brown bag um, just relates to that, the brown bag test, which I think a lot of people in the black community know about, but yeah. most white people don't know about. Yeah. Um, but like in the, between 1920, like the 1920s and the 1970s, from my understanding, um, in, in certain spaces in the black community, they would put a brown bag on the door. And if you weren't darker than this bag, you couldn't enter these spaces. So it's this way of policing the black body within black spaces. And it's a form of like even further prejudice within the black community. In addition to the racism being perpetuated by white people. Um, And so of course that's something I like benefit from because it's still happening. And so this work was a way of exploring uh, the relationship between my privilege and between um, that way in which darker skinned women, my mother included, have been pushed to the background, literally in the painting and then in in life. Um, and then finally about this choice that lighter skinned people have the privilege of making about how they're going to exist and present themselves in the world. And there's pressure to pass. There's pressure to... Um, present in certain ways. And so the way that you choose to present yourself can be a form of, of like pushing against, against oppressive systems that tell you that the things that are black about you are not beautiful. And so the choice to make the figure hyper black, a nod to Carrie James Marshall, um, is, is a way of celebrating that blackness of literally highlighting it when it has been historically pushed to the backdrop, to the background. Yeah, that's that's a real strong. That's a real strong explanation. I like this. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking me, and I feel like I'm giving such long responses, but no, you're asking such no, good no, questions. No, no, it's, it's yeah. good. It's good because uh, you know, most of all, especially with this podcast and in creating a space where uh, people can exist in their blackness in whatever form they they choose to, right? And so, you know, on this platform, like this is your time to say as much or as little about what you want to say <laughs> as possible. Right. And we, we accept it all because we understand the black experience is going to be different and varied, but we, we, we want it like, because me understanding what your experience has been helps me with my artwork, you know what I'm saying? And so on and so forth. I'm sure like somebody that listens to this podcast will feel the exact same way. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, don't, don't feel like that. Like, you know, this is, this be open, you know, talk as, talk as much as you want. Like I'm loving it. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I love that you guys exist. That is awesome. So uh, when I look at this work, there was something, and tell me if there's a little bit of this um, inside of of the concept of it. It it was something about, how do I want to say it? It's it's a conversation that goes on about emojis. Yeah, have you seen this? Where people um, see themselves or 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 use the dark skin emoji when they're doing stuff when they're light skinned do you understand what i'm saying like is it a way for them to visually want to identify themselves as more black than they quote unquote blacker than they are you know what i'm saying is is it a little bit of that involved in it where you do you feel darker or do you feel like your mind state hints at more of how they would treat a dark skinned person and you identify with that more. Does that make sense? I, I think, I, I think I sort of understand what you're saying. 
um, it's it's sort of about this like cultural culturally identifying where right. you can be really light skinned and just be like steeped in black culture and just be dripping in it, right? Yeah. Um, I I wish I could claim that. Like I wish I could claim that, but I don't think that is true of me. But I also think black culture is what like well, I make black culture. You make black culture. We're making black culture right now. Like this is a whole concoction of blackness. Right. So the the whole idea of being steeped in black culture is a question of who is black. And so I would never dismiss my own blackness because that is like violence against my own body. Um, but at the same time, I also would never diminish the fact that blackness like means something and it has roots in the South and it has a voice and it has, you know what I mean? So I don't think that my, my work is a way of like claiming more blackness than I have. It's just claiming that blackness is, and it's there and I can, I can own it. It's like claiming my ability to own it because I think so often if you're, if you're multiracial, even other multi, even my own siblings have kind of, they diminish their own blackness and then diminish my blackness. And then later on are like, Oh, I see you owning it. Now that gives me permission to own it. So there's this whole like process of giving yourself permission to be that, which you are of giving yourself permission to take up the space that you exist in. And like, for, for instance, uh, maybe two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I went to like a black girl talking circle and I was just, I mean, with all the protests and with all of the, like all the violence that I'm seeing, um, I just needed to be with like my people. And it, it was hard for me for a moment to decide if I was allowed to be there. And when I got there and I actually said that because we were all just being very vulnerable. Um, one of the women started crying and she was like, of course, like you belong here. And so that permission, I first had to give myself. And I think that permission to just to just see see yourself as other people see you and the way that you actually navigate the world like that's that's uh, that's what that piece is about in some ways. Not not so much like claiming more blackness than you have, but just claiming what you do have and who you are. Right. Right. And so was there ever a point where you wanted to be like present as darker? Like, um, are you asking me if I personally wanted my actual skin to be darker? Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting question. I think I'm going to be completely transparent because that's what we're doing. Um, I think it is hard. It is hard being kind of like at certain times of the year, I'm very ambiguous. because, <laughs> Like I haven't been in the sun and I'm like not even sure what I am at this point because I am just light. And so I think sometimes like that that is that's weird when i'm navigating spaces and i'm not sure what other people even are assuming of me right. like i'm not sure and i think that can be kind of hard because like i said i was raised by my mom my mom is a black woman and so that really is like my 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 familial context and a lot of the identity um my cult like cultural identity that i sit with yeah. um so i'm comfortable with who i am and with my skin color and i think it was it was hard navigating from sort of idolizing whiteness as a really really young person and and wanting to be that like barbie with the pendulum hair to like to finally like celebrating myself um and then for a moment like try like wanting to be that super curly headed girl but you know i can never be that i can only be myself and sort of just trying to trying to live into that as much as i can more and more no no no, that's really that's really good and and please excuse me if you like 
uh, take any offense to my questions. I'm just kind of like, you know, asking these kind of like, um, as we start to dissect it, it's just want to establish like a baseline of understanding of, of where you are inside of it. You know what I'm saying? Like you're very, very mature and thoughtful about it. So that's why I felt like asking you these kind of questions would be like, all right, but excuse me if you like get offended or anybody else. No, I wasn't offended. I wasn't offended because I think it is, it is an interesting question for some, you know, it is an interesting question because everybody experiences and navigates their identity and comes to, to wherever they are at a different rate. And right. so, yeah, I didn't feel, no, I didn't feel any type of way. Okay, good. Cause, cause I would think like, and, and I'm, I'm sort of light skinned and like caramel color. And so I'm not, I've never had like the super, like my cousin was, was really dark. And so I, I believe the interactions that we had were different because of his tone was several shades darker than me, but I'm also not light. Like I couldn't pass. Like I'm obviously like a black man when, when I present myself. So I, w- I would think from, from my vantage point and my skin tone that I've always existed. So my experience, I would think that it would be um, alluring for the possibility to not have to deal with race for a particular day or a particular period. Just like, I'm just not, I'm just not feeling this like right now. I wish <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, do so yeah. do you, do you ever feel like that or do you always um, enforce or reinforce your blackness as you go. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm, that's such a good question. So I don't think I can opt out of being a, a person of color, right? I do think I could opt out of being black if I wanted to, as far as the way people perceive me. Right. That's like not something I want to do. Um, but that's something that I could do. And I know I could do because people have told me like, you look Middle Eastern. Someone told me you look Asian, which I just don't see, but like all, <laughs> all kinds of things. Like I've heard all, like almost everything. Right. Everything and but black. What you? Yeah. <laughs> just depending on the day, like if I'm wearing braids, you're black. If I'm doing like, it's, it's like becomes like my race and my identity is circumstantial. Right. Um, so mm, I can never that's opt out. That's a good word. Yeah. Yeah. I can never opt out of being a person of color, but I, I remember, I, and I remember that experience of when I realized like, I, I would never be able to pass. Like I'm not somebody who could pass for white. I remember I was maybe 17 and I was, I was with a friend and we went to um, like village Inn to go to like a Bible study. I don't know. We were going to get pie after a Bible study and I went and I sat down and the first thing this girl said to me is what are you? Wow. And that's sort of dehumanizing that it's dehumanizing to, to be asked, what are you as if like, I'm a fucking person. Like, what are you? (laughs) Like, you know what I'm saying? And I remember feeling instantly like, Oh, Oh no. Like she's they're all, all her, all like um, the other white girls at the table um, that weren't her were like, girl, you can't just say that. And she was like, Oh no. And I remember feeling bad. Like I needed to comfort her or something. Uh... Like what a weird impulse. But I, I also realized like I can never like people are always asking that even if they're not saying it they're asking like what are you people are like wondering and I think that was uncomfortable to realize that people are always like wondering what am I um mm. and and I think it there was definitely a period in time like so that happened in like late high school 
And early in college, I was overperforming my blackness, <laughs> absolutely, because I was like trying to just demand it. <laughs> yeah, I had like a button vest, just like covered in buttons, like black is beautiful. <laughs> I was like, I was like braiding my hair every night. Like, I don't know. I was, I was just, I was overdoing it. And then like, I remember my mom told me, my mom said something like, like, you don't, you don't have to like wear yourself like that or like. I can't even remember what she said. She just like brought me, she just like brought me to the ground in a good way. She like grounded me and was like, baby, you don't have to do that. Just like be yourself, (laughs) just be yourself. Like, um, and, and that was, that was more of an ownership than like that button vest could have given me. God forbid. (laughs) People were like, you have so much flair on. Wow. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, that was the period for me. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) This is Lauren Jackson-Harris, arts professional extraordinaire, and you're listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. In college, how many Black people were in the room with you? Mm. Oh, man. College was hard. College was hard as far as um, like representation and, and demographics and stuff. It was predominantly white, undoubtedly. And um, like if I had gone to school with someone like you, or if you were in graduate school where I went to school... That would have, I would, we would have been like such good friends. I would have been like (laughs) creeping on you, but there wasn't a lot of other black students. And in addition to that, the black students that I was going to school with weren't, they weren't making work about, actually, I take that back. I can never forget my friend Cherie Haney. And also um, there's a graduate student, Zora Murph. He was a graduate student when I was in school. He's been in like the New York times. He's just like killing it with his photography. He's brilliant really a brilliant artist who's making really important work um so i can never say that i didn't go to school with some really great black artists because i absolutely did um on the other hand like that's two people so (laughs) there wasn't there wasn't like a a ton of people um that were african-american they were making work about race so when i would come into a critique and we were talking about my work and all my professors are white or predominantly white and my fellow students like there's not a lot of other people that are uh african-american and there's some people of color like some diversity but again it's like minimal so i think it's at unl it's predominantly um asian exchange students or not exchange students um asian international students we have a lot of chinese students that go to unl Hmm. um and then a lot of white students that come like from all over the state to go to unl so that's like the major demographic like at a glance um but we do have a really act we have a really active bcu um who's doing amazing work right now, but I'm going to, we're talking about the critique. I'm going to jump back, jump back to where I was. So during critiques, I don't think people, even the professors were always super comfortable, like jumping into the content of my work um, because they weren't comfortable talking about race or they weren't comfortable acknowledging race. Right. Or furthermore, my work is as much about privilege and colorism, which as <laughs> you know, like that's something that white people can kind of be like, well, Oh, I benefit from that, you know? So I think that was uncomfortable for people to engage with. I'd have critiques where I would have worked on something for like hours and hours and hours. And it was clearly like a huge labor. And the only thing people could say is like, I like it (laughs) or like, Oh, it's good. Or like, that's, that's nicely rendered, but it's like no one, there was very few people. There was a handful of students um, 
that were willing to really engage with like what I was saying. Right. Yeah. Oh, that it, it, that does not stop. I have the same experience. And, <laughs> I was I was wondering, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I have the same experience too. But because I'm, uh, let's see, no, Shanika was there before me, but uh, it, it's hard to get people to engage with the idea in the same way, in the same way they they engage, for instance, about um, climate change, right? Yeah, you can go in there if your work is about climate change. Guaranteed, we're talking for an hour, an hour and a half about all the different things and different ways you can put it and add in different materials. Um, but I was doing a show, the 400 show while I was in college in my second year of grad school, the whole year I spent working on the show. <laughs> and, you know, the conversation was, was very tight. Uh, you know, people, they, they never really know what to say and they always looking for permission almost to be able to say some things and, and, and not be called a racist. Like, I think that's at the top of their mind. You know, the, the mm. worst thing you can do is tell them that they're uh, ignorant to the experience of, of other people. And, you know, they enter because most for the most part, they're all liberal, like people like artists. Most artists are mm-hmm. very liberal, progressive people. So, you know, they don't want to say the wrong thing, but I think it freezes them and it stops them from, like you said, truly engaging in the work. Because there yeah. is, because my work, you know, needs to be critiqued. There is commentary that goes along with it because I'm making mm-hmm. such strong statements. You're doing the same thing. You're making such strong right. statements. It deserves the proper engagement from it. And so, right. you know, it's almost, you almost have to have a conversation beforehand to let them know it's all right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And that's, that can be very tiring and especially... Um, well, me, I was I was already a full time artist making a living before I came to school. So that felt to me, I was frustrated with it because it kept it felt like I was devolving. Right. I'm right. going backwards and having a conversation I've already passed long ago. And I stopped apologizing for my blackness. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I found when in critiques, like the older students that had been, like had had more time just like in life and didn't go straight from high school to college, like some of those people were able to talk about my work and to ask questions and just just to have the humility to be like, I don't know, but I would love to like I feel this way. And I think, yeah, that was definitely there was there was a definitely a moment where I'd spent all that time on this piece. And I was ever any the only thing anyone could say, is like, I like it. It's nice. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's. It, it, even in Atlanta, is there actually now I'm about to start interviewing you, but um, yeah, what's the what's it like in Atlanta in academia? Is the demographics like are there are do you have instruct like black instructors that no. are mentoring you and that kind of thing? No, no, they're they're so they're, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but don't don't let this put you off now. This is just my experience because uh, I've interviewed some other people. If you listen to past episodes, um. Go listen to my man. He went to uh, Iowa, I think, Ceramicis. Uh, he had a very different experience because he had um, Tamika Norris uh, was one of his professors. And she's like, she's incredible. You should look up her work. She does performance art and stuff. Um, so, you know, if you get her and you can kind of match up with uh, one of the professors, then it can work out. Like, uh, and I've seen people go to other places and it still work out. So, you know, it, the particular experience that people are going to have in these institutions can be as much as you get out of it and as much as you're looking to get out of it. Right. Because when I show up and I know, okay, none of these professors are really black. 
I don't expect a certain level of engagement in the first place. But because of my contacts in Atlanta, I get that engagement from every other professional artist right. outside of the institution that I know. So I'm never wanting for it either. Like I can right. always go and find some person that I don't have to necessarily explain it to, but can still talk to me on an academic level about what I'm doing and have those discussions. So um, for me, it's not necessarily a void. It's just more of something that something that I have to do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying yeah. to, get, to get my MFA so that and that's for better or worse and a lot of places that you go are going to be like that because especially like in printmaking I don't know what you would what you go for um because you're so good at both things but especially in printmaking printmaking has a, a there's a big lack of diversity in the yeah. institutions um in printmaking but they're also open enough to engage you with conversations I think most of the time I don't know. It, 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 it just depends. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point is like, that's kind of what I've had to do here in Lincoln is find that that community outside of the institution to provide some of that critical eye and that shared experience. So I have a, I have a friend here who you should interview him next. I don't know do what you need, <laughs> but um, his name's Nathan Murray and he makes uh, ceramic sculptures and like busts and he's making a whole series of, uh, larger than life busts right now of folks in Nebraska, like uh, leaders, like black leaders in Nebraska. Malcolm X was born in Omaha. Ernie Chambers is the, I think the one and only, uh, like the first black senator in the state. And he kills it. He's just, yeah, we're very proud of our Ernie Chambers. Nice. Um, so just these different, these different folks, but I've reached out to like him for critiques. And so he'll come to my studio and sort of like talk with me about what I'm doing and like having those people, has been really vital for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think in, in, for me, you almost have to look at it in, in two ways. Like what, one, what way do I have to exist to survive this institution? Right. Like how much of the game do I have to play? How much of the people do I have to know uh, when they're on your thesis committee, when you're talking, having conversations with faculty, like what do I have to do to perform here? It's, I mean, it's sort of like, um, uh, what do they call it when you code switching? It's kind of like code switching. And then secondly, what do you think your work needs and how do I get that and who can give it to me like from somewhere else? So especially when you're dealing with black artists, I mean, we know that we understand the struggles that we all are going through. And by far, by, by far, most people are going to be willing to have the conversation with you because they know that's what you need. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you recognize the talent and the passion of, that somebody has, like that's an easy conversation for you to call me or like, you know, or Dante Hayes, that's his name. The, the guy from uh, the ceramicist. He's, he's brilliant. Um, so to call us or contact us and have that conversation, we're more than willing to do it because we know we needed it when we were in the same situation. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a, it's like a collective thinking that we all just, understand that a lot of these institutions don't necessarily have everything that we need yeah and we don't we, we're not gonna go without it <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's like it's not yes. just not gonna have a void in my studio practice because okay. like y'all not not trying to bring no black professors in like that's ridiculous like so you know just like all black people we gonna make a way to, to get what we need to develop and grow mm. Mm, that's good now I want to tell you a story. You didn't ask me any questions. You didn't ask me about this. 
but I want to tell you about a FUBU that changed my life when I was in college. Okay. And this, this was the most beneficial thing that happened to me in college. And it wasn't in the university. I have a, I have a friend, her name is Vernae Norman, and she graduated from Union College. It's a Seventh-day Adventist like private school in Lincoln that's really popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she graduated from there, and she was studying photography, and she started a space called Parallel Visions in order to like practice her, her photo work and just like have places to shoot. And then she started doing Second Friday shows, and she invited me um, to like help direct the shows. And at the time, I was in um, a gallery management class, so I was learning like how to how to hang work, how to ship work, how to uh, like curate a show, and all these different skills that directly applied to this experience being offered to me. And I was like, yes. And the space was specifically for artists of color and created by artists of color. And so it was me, Verne Norman, and our, and my friend Talia Rogers, who's a super talented painter, really brilliant. She had a solo show at like 24 at the Union for Contemporary Art in Omaha, nice. which is a pretty beautiful space. And I'm just deeply proud of her. Um, and so we were running this space and we were curating shows um, with only black artists or only um, Hispanic artists or Latinx artists. And about, of course, like the 2016 election and like all these different experiences. And that was not at all something that was like generated um by the university in terms of content like no one went out and told us to do that but we 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 had to make space for ourselves in lincoln and in the art community where so often the work being shown and the people putting up the shows don't look like us and so we were like we're gonna do this like for ourselves and like carve out this space um there's a really great article in vice magazine about what we did there for like, it was, it was nine months of shows. Oh, but wow. Nice. The, the impact that it had on us and just to have that experience to like make space for ourselves and to tell the stories that we were interested in and that we wanted to share um, was really wonderful. Like we had a, we had a show uh, that featured some photos that were based on lemonade. We had like a lemonade screening. We were doing like clothing <laughs> exchanges and like all this stuff in addition to, just like the regular art shows. So yeah, it was, that was a blast. Nah, that's dope. That's super dope. So does that space no longer exist or y'all stop doing it? It was a shit ton of work. So like (laughs) we were all like, she was trying to figure out her student debt and I was like in school full time and like working 20 hours, just doing parallel vision stuff, like volunteering to do it, just volunteering. We, no one, no one was getting paid. We were just, we were just doing it cause we wanted to do it. Yeah. And I was working part time. So it was just not sustainable for us. So we fundraised to keep it going so that a wouldn't have to like pay out of pocket to, to pay for rent. Yeah. And, um, we, we didn't get to like the $8,000 we needed uh. to keep it going, but we raised like $3,500. And that um, went to part of it went to paying for the space and then the rest of it, like paying off what was due for the rest of the rent. Um, And then the rest of it went to a project that me and another friend who's also an amazing black woman, her name's Jewel Rogers. And we did a project at a middle school at Park Middle School where I went um, and it was called the Dream Project. So we did this whole thing with like young people that essentially led into the work I'm doing now with South of Downtown. Um, so that was definitely like a huge, it's like, it is the reason that I'm, that I'm doing the work I'm doing now in the community. Yeah. So, yeah. No, that's, that's dope. You know, that's kind of, uh, of experience, especially at your age that, that 
can can show you what you need to do from now on. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like that the right. initiative that y'all took to, you know, go spend your own money, uh, you know, do the shows for representation for your own sake. Like that kind of attitude is the attitude that that people succeed with. Like ultimately, that's what I find like when I when I talk to other people. Like uh it's truly like, and I'm sure people have said it before, what would you do for free? Like, you know what I'm saying? If nobody was paying you, what would you do? Uh and that's the type of work and passion that you know, you can't you can't replace that kind of experience. Like even with grad school, as great as it is, like, you know, that kind of real world, real life running shows, um, the connections that you made with all those different artists, like, I mean, that's that's remarkable. You know what I'm saying? Big, big shout out to both of y'all for for getting that done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Renee's dope. She's cool. She's in New York now, like working on the set of Queer Eye. Or no, not oh, in wow, New York. Nice. Now they're in Philly. Philly shooting that, but yeah, she's cool. She's really cool. Yeah, that's dope, yo. So we just been talking. Let me talk and <laughs> bring up what I know <laughs> one of your pieces. <laughs> All right, let's bring up the piece about um what piece was inspired by Barclay Hendrix? I saw you I mentioned all the work all of it it's all Barkley. no i'm just kidding i do love Barkley <laughs> hendrix like i i love Barkley hendrix i've read um barkley's catalog um carrie james marshall somebody else who i study um but so there's a really huge wonderful painting um in the sheldon museum which is like a university museum at unl mm-hmm. and they have a eight foot painting called bitum enslave um of Barkley's friend angie and she's so cool she's like a pink backdrop and then she has her arms folded over her chest and the words slave on her shirt and she and she could could not be in more ownership of herself and so this image was so powerful to me so in maybe two years ago i made a painting sort of nodding at that painting that was about the power of objects to sort of empower and affirm you so it was a series of objects that that were a part of my for- formation really as I was coming to like a racial consciousness and just like just owning who is I it, was. Is this the piece with the shower cap? That's the one with the shower cap. Okay. Yes. Okay. I get you. So that's yeah, kind yeah, of what going. that piece is about. Um, and that sort of ties in with what I was saying about um, like having this flare jacket of like stuff I was, <laughs> I was wearing. <laughs> and one of the, the little paintings I made of the objects was that button that says black is beautiful and so, and like an Afro pick and like all these different things. And so instead of like, instead of uh, sort of worshiping the objects and like wearing them and like, you know, just overcompensating for my lack of melanin, I was like, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to just make this painting that speaks to the power of these objects and sort of let, let it go. Like let go of that part of myself. That's, it's trying to perform anything. Um, and so that's kind of what that painting is, is about. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. So how how long have you been painting? You're very yeah. good at it. So you know, obviously you've been you've been doing it for a little while. Thank like, you. Like how Thank did you. what would you what did you start? This is I'm I think these new pieces are oil. Like did you start in oil or did you start somewhere else? Yeah. So I started painting in acrylics when I was at like maybe twelve. So I've been painting for a minute and drawing forever. And I always really wanted to be an artist or like an archaeologist, mostly just because I liked like the drawings of rocks in a Boy Scout uh, book, but uh, always been interested in art. So 
I started oil painting when I was in college and that was very, very vital for me, the medium of oil paint, because when I was in my final year of high school, I was like applying to all these different colleges and, and shows and things. And, um, I read, I, I reeled in some awards and stuff and that was really exciting. Um, but I always felt really frustrated because what I was trying to do in acrylic was really only achieved in oil paint, but I didn't know that. Right. (laughs) And I wasn't allowed to use oil paint at school, which was where I was making, uh, what I was making at the time. So I was doing a lot of like blending and rendering and like thinking about light and doing all this like technically type stuff. My very last year in, in high school. And then I got to college and I was using oil paint. And all of these things I was trying to achieve in acrylic were suddenly so easy because it wasn't drying <laughs> instantly. So yeah. that was a huge turning point. And yeah, I was like, oh, wow, this is how people are doing this. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. No, nah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna, I'm going to jump to another piece um, of the boxes we feel our favorite was yellow. Talk about this one. Yeah. Uh, that so that's the most recent thing I've finished. If we're not talking about like rolling more work through the press and making a bunch of random stuff, um, so that's like the most recent painting I've I've finished, and it's of my husband and I. And uh, my husband and I grew up together, and we literally have baby photos together. So, and we <laughs> do you really? Yeah, we're, yeah, it's gross. It's so cute. It's adorable. Um, Wait, so hold on. <laughs> so yeah, did y'all parents know each other or something? Yeah, so our wow. moms were like best friends for the longest time. So um, it's like they were, a movie. They, yeah, they were like, "Oh, it'd be so, it'd be so cute if they got married one day." And so my mom always likes to take partial credit, um, which is it's cute. We did all the work, but um, yeah. So there's that. So we grew up together, and uh, the even the title sort of nods at like the our romance that's that's like maybe that's maybe a more personal piece it's quite literally like a self-portrait which i haven't done in a while and it's a portrait of my husband um and and it's about like the way so often our identities and experiences are truncated um i remember when i was in elementary school like i said i went to a a a virtually like an all-white school um and was one of like 10 kids out of like uh, over a thousand that were students of color Mm. and so all the teachers were white and i remember filling out a demographic form and i'm native american white and african-american and my teacher i was like i'm all these things and i can only pick one like what am i supposed to do she's like just pick black and i was like okay (laughs) and i just like went (laughs) along with it but i was also thinking like well why why can't i claim all that i am right and um and so this this is about that experience. So there's literally like a census form pasted onto the painting and I'm like filling out the boxes. And so you can see my identity. Um, and then Scott's like holding holding my hand. And it's sort of uh, roughly based off of a photograph of the Lovings who were, I, I believe, the first couple. Oh, yeah. The interracial get, couples who yeah. uh, went to Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's like why people are legally allowed to get married uh, from different races. <laughs> and that was like, I think in ni- in the 1960s, like, yeah. I don't, it wasn't that long ago. It's crazy um, that a hundred years ago, like my marriage would be illegal. Um, oh, yeah, and yeah. so it's, it's about, it, it's uh so the photo that I took of me and my husband is, is based off of a photo of them at a press conference where he's like holding her hand on top of this table. 
And so like I'm in this pink box and Scott's in this blue box and he's super white and I'm super black. And then our hands are in this like yellow space, which I think of as this like non-gendered color. Um, and that was actually both of our favorite colors when we were little. And so it's sort of referencing some of that like personal history and then American history and then thinking about, um, yeah, like bo- like boxes. So that's what that works about. <laughs> No, that, that's that's interesting. You know? So you you have the same um, dark skin pigment showing up in this one, too. Like, well, mm-hmm. what was the relevance of bringing in that part of it? Yeah. So th- I definitely think the way that this is functioning in contrast to the last one uh, where I used like this sort of Carrie James Marshall hyper black, like literally almost only using like variations of the color black. Like I have a whole like little spread out so I can compare the different (laughs) the different shades that are manufactured um yeah so in the last painting it was a representative self-portrait so i was feeling like i really need to make an actual image of myself and my experience because even presenting myself um through sydney was i think controversial in that she is um she's less ambiguous than i am because Mm. my hair is like this my hair is very weird. Like the top of it is wavy or straight. And then the underside of it is like very coily curls. I don't know what's happening. It's always been like that. <laughs> I adore it. I, you know? Um, and so in, in the picture, you see this like portrait of me and I'm like hyper black, but you might not even think of me as black. Had you seen me outside of this way that I've presented myself? Right. And so, um, Yeah. That's I'm still processing what I was doing there. That's a more recent thing. So I don't have maybe as quite uh, articulated uh, um, reflections on that. I'm actually going to be I want to remake that piece because I want to make it uh, bigger because that one's not to scale. And then I'm thinking about making major changes to it. But it was it was an experiment in some ways of exploring that content. No, I think that's good. I think that's a good working process to have. Like, even if you once you do get it out, now you can yeah. see more things that you would redo about it. You know, that's right. that's kind of that's what artists do, you know. And so yes. even if, even I still like that um, you did it and you didn't quite know what you were doing yet. Yeah. And that's another. Like a, yeah. That's another yes. thing that artists do like a lot. I do that a yes. lot. Like just make stuff and then be like, what is it about? I don't know. Like, I'll, right. you know, I'll figure it out. I'll figure out what it's about in, in a little bit. Yes. Yeah. That's definitely part of my part of my process is making the work. And I do do a lot of writing and a lot of like processing and I'll make little thumbnail sketches and I'll try and figure out what I'm saying before I say it so I can be as intentional as possible. But it's still there's something that happens as you're making it that that where where it evolves and, and sometimes it gets like so much different than you want it. And so in, in a good way or in a bad way. And so that's definitely part of like what I do, um, what I did in this piece and, and the last painting I did, um, if a black woman is afraid of the dark, is she afraid of a shadow or herself? There's the collage pieces, um, in the back of that one. And of course the brown bags on, if a black woman is afraid of the dark, that's the brown bags are all literally brown bags that I pasted on there. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know exactly how I was going to put the bags on there. So that was, really fun and experimental just to put them on there in addition to um like the magazines there's a term for what i did and i don't even know <laughs> it's when you rub paper off the back of magazines 
with clear gesso on the front. So they're transparent. So it's all these layers of like, it's like transparent faces. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. It's a gel, gel medium transfer. Thank yeah. you. Um, and on this new one um, of the boxes, we filled our favorite was yellow. The background on mine is um, it's like all pink paper that I collaged from magazines where women were next to the color pink. So, and I did the same thing, but with blue for Scott. So it's this sort of hyper gendered color in this hyper gendered space that art figures exist in. And I didn't plan on doing that from the beginning, but it was a, it was, I was just thinking about like, how can I, how can I make this work um, as vocal as it is trying to be? And so I had all this paper from the last piece I did. And that's, that's how some of that evolved. Oh, no, nah, that's amazing. Cause you, as you, you're way ahead of, um, like most people in, in terms of thinking about materiality, like adding different contexts to your pieces based on uh, in inclusions, you know what I'm saying? Other things that you would put into it. So, uh, you know, you, you own it, Joe, you own it. You're going to be all right, Joe. I don't think you're going to have no problem getting to grad school. I don't think you're going to have no problem making it through, yo, because it's, uh, well, bless you. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm trying. I, my, my vision is to go to Yale because like, that's where Barkley Hendricks went. Oh and, man, that's where everybody know, goes. <laughs> but yeah, that's where everyone goes. Yeah, like uh, goes. so many dope black artists have, have come out of that program. At the same time, I'm like, I'm just going to go to the streets of Chicago and like learn from a bunch of street artists, make a bunch of friends. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I, I'm probably just going to go to graduate school where it's like free. That's oh, my, that's no, my that's, that's a number one. I, yeah. <laughs> I tell you that yeah. right now, because if I had to spend a dime to go to grad school, I would not have went yeah. at all. Yep. Yeah. So definitely do that. And I, you know, I think you'll be all right because your work is good. We didn't even talk about your printmaking. We already an hour in. <laughs> we, yeah, we've been talking for a minute. Yeah, we I'm sorry. I'm a chatty. Kathy, oh, no, this is, this is great, Joe. This is great. You know, you you the fam. You know, this has been it's, a, it's been a, a, a good thing to find you. Like in, even in the way that I did, because, you know, I don't oftentimes uh, most of the artists, I just because of my age, I don't talk to like a younger, a lot of younger artists. And so getting to talk to you is like it's a revelation, like a breath of fresh air. Like, you know, they, uh, the, the kids going to be all right. That kind of thing. Cool. Cool. I think. <laughs> uh, I'm humble. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And and so go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, people can find you at catweiss.com. And on Instagram, your full name, Catherine dot dot Weiss. Uh, that's right. Yeah. And that's where they can find you. Yo. Look, I'm definitely looking forward to more stuff that you do. Yo. I'm definitely going to keep in touch and, and keep following you. Yo. Thank you. Thank you. Same, back at you. Back at you 100%. <laughs> Studio noise all the way. Listen to the podcast on the weekly. You know. Oh, yeah. You the fam now. You the fam. You're going to get a shout out. So, <laughs> so it's all good. Yo. <laughs> yeah. I definitely appreciate you. Cool. Thank you so much. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, and I appreciate your very insightful questions. So, thank you. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Kat Weiss uh, doing her thing down there. Check her out. Please check her out. Uh, she's part of the fam now. We're going to give her a big warm welcome. Y'all get go follow her and, and, and look at her great artwork that she got going on. Uh, show to appreciate her coming on. 
And so you already after such a great interview. I know you just can't wait for the next episode. Well, next week, we'll be back with another new episode with another great black woman printmaker. And that's Jennifer Mac Watkins uh, live on the podcast. Maybe another giveaway too. Hmm. Hmm. Keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> you never know what we got for you. Uh, yes. But in the meantime, between time, you need something to listen to in your studio. I say you go listen to Stony Hill from my man, Junior Gong, Damian Marley. I gave it to you. Good on this one. Ain't nothing but good vibes as always in the studio while you're working. Yes, yes. Good music. Good music. Keep you up. Keep you inspired. <laughs> keep you going in the studio. Uh, make sure you do your thing. As always, I want to thank you. First and foremost, I want to thank you for taking your time out of listening to me run my mouth on here. This Studio Noise podcast. All these great conversations. These great artists. I sure do appreciate you. So wherever you're listening right now, you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening. Why don't you go ahead, hit that subscribe button. If you can, write us a review. Give us five stars. Get us pumped up in the charts. Let everybody know about the noise. Tell two friends. All that good stuff. Share it with your fam. Let them know it's black people out here doing good work, yo. And so if you ever want to holler at us, you can always go to Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast. If you'd like to send me an email to connect a little bit more. Uh, it's studio noise podcast at gmail.com you can find my co-host Diggy jazz and not here on the podcast she's on assignment but you can find her at niggers.supreme don't forget that dot and you can follow your boy on all your social medias jay barber studio on all your social medias and to all my artists out there let the work tell you where you need to go don't try to inform the work don't try to make it right don't try to put it in a box that's not how this thing works you're speaking to a high level. You're connecting with the other place. You're bringing down stuff from the ether, like Jameen said. And that's how we do our work, baby. It's magic. And that's how you do it. You got to let it breathe. So just get in that studio and make some noise. The noise going to spain itself, baby. Don't worry about it. Keep it pushing. It's your boy, Jay Barber. Studio noise, baby. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. <laughs>